The scripture passage we're going to be considering this morning is from Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, scripture reading is the entire basic section, verses 1 through 9, uh, and you'll see how much we're able to cover this morning as we look at this passage. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version translation. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray. Our Father, we would ask that your Holy Spirit, who first inspired Isaiah the prophet, would be present with us to illuminate our hearts and minds, to understand your word, to see its testimony concerning your Son, our Savior, and that we would delight in Christ and find in him everything that we need. Ultimately, Lord, not for our sake, though it truly is for our greatest benefit, but ultimately that Jesus himself and his name would be exalted and glorified. Amen. So all throughout this past year, we've had a basic theme, and that theme has been how the Old Testament scriptures testify concerning Christ. Uh, that was the great claim that Jesus made. Uh, he made it on the day of resurrection. He had made it earlier during his ministry to the Jews. And therefore, we have been looking at how the Old Testament speaks to this. Uh, first, we looked at the writings of Moses. Uh, then we moved on to consider the writings of David. And now we're going to be looking at the writings of Isaiah. Now, we have only been touching upon this great theme. Uh, we didn't cover everything that Moses says. We didn't cover everything that David says. And we will not cover everything that Isaiah says. In fact, the, the amount of gospel testimony to Christ in the book of Isaiah is, is so thick, is so dense, that uh, scholars, biblical scholars, Bible-believing scholars, Christ-honoring scholars, have often described the book of Isaiah as the prophetic gospel. It's the gospel in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is the gospel prophet because of so many things that are said, so many prophecies that are uttered concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by way of introduction, uh, what we're going to do is simply look at four specific passages that are found 
in the book of Isaiah, in the, in the latter third. Uh, we're going to look at those four passages. But as a kind of preface and something of a context, I want us to consider some of the earlier prophecies. For instance, uh, one of the earliest is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And of course, that specific prophecy is found early on in the book of Matthew describing what the angel had said to Joseph in a dream as to why Joseph should not be fearful about taking Mary to be his wife because she was with child by the Holy Spirit. And this child would be born and he would be Emmanuel, God with us, and he would come to save his people from their sins. Moving on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, we read these verses. But there will be no more gloom for her, for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And when Jesus establishes his ministry in Galilee, uh, even on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, uh, the Apostle Matthew in his gospel says that this passage is being fulfilled. And then we go on later in chapter 9. Uh, verses made so famous because of Handel's Messiah. Uh, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, the number of New Testament passages based on this, these two verses or making allusions to these two verses or echoing these two verses is simply far too many to speak to. But if you know your New Testament scriptures and you have read these two verses... You see it there, the themes, again and again and again. And then the fourth one I want to call to your attention is the 11th chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Now, we recognize that as the Messiah, as Christ. But then we go on in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, 
And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So Isaiah 11 presents the Messiah and then the blessings of the Messiah in terms of the Messianic age, returning the world to as it was in the time of Eden. Now, all of these passages and several more have established the patterns of Isaiah's ministry. Now, what is that pattern? How does Isaiah present what God gives to him? Well, the messages are always, first of all, to the present generation and therefore to things that are near to them historically, maybe present, uh, maybe coming soon, maybe coming a couple of centuries, because Isaiah's prophecy relates to something 200 years in the future with respect to the Babylonian captivity. At the same time, woven through all of these more close-by prophecies, there are the prophecies concerning the Messiah, prophecies that concern the latter times, prophecies that concern a much more distant future. There's often no sharp break between a prophecy of something that's current and a prophecy of something that's distant. It actually takes a fair amount of, of skill and the, the illumination of the New Testament to determine uh, when a passage speaks of that time, near the time of Isaiah, and the time that's clearly the time of Christ and even beyond. Now for this passage, Isaiah 42, we have the authority of the Apostle Matthew who tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that this passage in the gospel concerning Jesus is being fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 12, there's controversy uh, with Jesus. He has just been healing. He has healed in the synagogues. The Pharisees are accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. And then they withdraw, and Jesus withdraws from them, and he continues his ministry of healing in a far less public way. And Matthew says, here we have this passage in Isaiah being fulfilled. Fulfilled in what Jesus Christ himself is doing. Now, the prophecy that we find in Isaiah 42 speaks of the servant of the Lord. There are three other passages in Isaiah that also speak about the servant of the Lord. And these have been called the uh, songs of the servant. Uh, songs because prophetic messages were not only uttered, but they were often sung. It's Hebrew poetry. So it's not surprising that they might have put these things to music in their temple worship, in their tabernacle worship, whatever they were, and however they were worshiping. But we're going to look at this first one, and we can't cover everything that's in chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. It's just, there's just way too much. These prophecies are dense. But I want us to focus most of our attention, or the final part of our attention, on verse 3. 
I want us to see the ministry of Christ in light of the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Uh, I, I like that translation. It's more the NIV translation than what we find in the ESV. Some translations speak about flax, but we know little of flax. But we do know about candles. In fact, our candle had a tremendous meltdown this morning. So it's already been extinguished. We didn't catch it soon enough. (laughs) But you get the picture. A bruised reed. A smoldering wick. And what this passage tells us, what verse 3 tells us concerning the ministry of Christ is this. Jesus did not come to hurt hurting people. I I want you to grab hold of that. Jesus did not come to hurt hurting people, but to give them redemption from all that had bruised their lives and extinguished their hope. I don't think there's any sweeter picture in all of Scripture concerning the ministry of Christ. That he has come to bruised reeds. He has come to smoldering wicks. To heal those who are bruised. And to fan into flame once again those whose hope was almost extinguished. Now, what we're going to do quickly is to look at some context for the Isaiah 42 message back in chapter 40. And then we're going to do a quick overview of what is said in chapter 42. And then I want to conclude by having us focus most significantly on verse 3 and the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Now, when you go back to chapter 40 of Isaiah, the first 11 verses, this is a a prophetic passage of the time of the Messiah. Uh, We have New Testament verification of that. But what is significant is there are three announcements that we find in these first 11 verses. Uh, The first announcement comes from God himself in verse 2, when he says, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this context that all the servant songs actually follow, the context is the good news of the coming of God into the world to bring redemption. It's the Emmanuel principle. The good news of God coming into the world to bring redemption to his people. And so the first announcement is God comes in order to proclaim to his people that their iniquity has been forgiven. Now, the second announcement is from the voice, the voice in verse 3. The voice of one who cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, the New Testament tells us that this Voice is fulfilled in John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who prepared the way for Jesus to come. The third announcement is found in verse 9 and 10 and 11. But verse 9, 
tells us that the heralds of the good news, Zion and Jerusalem, this is what they're going to say. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So the one who's coming, the good news is that God is going to come to bring this redemption to his people. Now we have a twofold description of what God is like when God comes. A twofold manner of his coming. The first is he's going to come to rule and to reward and to recompense. Which tells us he's coming with his sovereign power to conquer his enemies. But then verse 11 tells us a second theme with respect to his coming. He's going to come like a shepherd. Where we read in verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now, here we have two quite contrasting pictures and themes about the coming of God into the world. Uh, the one is the theme of the all-powerful sovereign. Nothing can thwart what he intends to do. The second, though, is the coming as a gentle shepherd who's going to draw his people like a shepherd holding a lamb close to his breast. Two powerfully contrasting themes about God coming into the world. The Emmanuel principle, God with us. Two contrasting themes which we find evidences of those two themes all the way through the servant songs. But we also found those same themes in the prophecies of David. The one who would come to establish his kingdom, who laughed at those who conspired against him, who also then suffered that those who were forsaken by God first would find themselves received in the forsakenness of a son who humbly submitted himself to death. In fact, these two themes show up in a very graphic way in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, you have angelic elders as opposed to earthly elders. <laughs> angelic elders uh, proclaiming this. One of the elders said to me, speaking of John, who brings the revelation, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now, the lion there is the kingly symbol of absolute sovereign authority and power. But you go on to verse 6, and, and so John is now going to look. He's been told to look. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But what does John actually see when he looks to see the lion of the tribe of Judah? This is what he sees. I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The lamb. The lion. 
God coming, the sovereign power. God coming with humility to serve. Power, humility. Conquering, serving. All found in Christ. So, these four servant passages will open us up to looking for the power to conquer, power to rule, and the humble will to serve. Now, the quick overview, quick overview of the servant's mission, where we see that God comes to his people through the redemptive mission of the servant. So in verse 1, we have the description of the servant's relationship to God. Now, notice these several points. First, the servant, he's God's servant. Second, notice he's upheld by God. Third, he's elect, that is, he's chosen of God. Fourth, he is God's delight. Fifth, he receives God's spirit upon him, which is a way of saying he is the anointed one. He is the Christ. And then it goes on, the passage goes on to describe the mission. The mission of the one who comes as God's servant is to establish justice. His calling is to bring about justice, verse 1. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles, verse 3. He will bring forth justice for truth, verse 4, till he's established justice in the earth. Now, how is that mission carried out? How does he establish justice? What does this look like? Well, verses 6 and 7 says, it's by God calling his servant to be God's own covenant for the people and a light to all of the nations. And as you read about prisons and dungeons and darkness, it's to rescue them from the darkness of sin. This is how Christ establishes justice. It is God's redemption of sinful people from their sins. Now, we're coming to the last part. The third part of this passage this morning, the one I want us to focus upon, is verse 3. And just part of verse 3. The servant's mission. The servant's mission is good news to broken human beings. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. What's being stated in this verse about bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, of course, they're metaphors. They're metaphors for people who've been deeply hurt, deeply broken by the injustices and adverse circumstances of life. They are people who are on the verge of losing all hope. They may even be miserable because of their own choices and their own actions. But they are bruised. They are experiencing their very life within them almost being extinguished. What we see then, first, is Christ's sympathetic heart toward them. Regardless of how and regardless of why they have suffered, Christ as the servant will treat them with mercy and compassion. Jesus does not despise the weak. 
Rather, Christ has a heart of compassion. And it is his compassion that motivates his ministry. Jesus will not break a bruised reed, for he will heal it. And Jesus will not snuff out a smoldering wick, but he will fan it into flame once again. Jesus comes to restore what has been taken away by the miseries of life. Verse 3 also tells us our need for this Savior. You and I, at least most of us, ought to be able to identify ourselves as bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Terrible things have happened to us. Tragedy has afflicted us. People have betrayed us. And even our own decisions and actions have caused us grief and misery. This is why it's good news to hear that Jesus has not rejected bruised reeds or smoldering wicks. I want you to think about Jesus actually living out verse 3. We can see it in the story of the woman at the well. Jesus reveals her story. She has been married five times. She was currently living with a sixth man to whom she wasn't even married. She was a woman who could attract a man but could not keep a man. For whatever reasons, she was never a desirable wife. No man would choose to keep her. Eventually, every husband she had lived with grew tired of her and rejected her and sent her away. And this current man would not even give her the honor of calling her a wife. Jesus did not come to hurt her, but to heal her. He did not reveal her brokenness to shame her or to despise her or to pass judgment on her. She was a very bruised reed. She was a dimly smoking wick, close to being extinguished. And Jesus came to give her living water so that she would never thirst again for the wrong things in life, so that she could drink of everlasting life. Jesus did not come to hurt hurting people, but to give them redemption from all of that which bruises their lives and extinguishes their hope. This he does by taking our sin and giving us himself, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to conclude with having us think about the third stanza of It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. The third stanza reads this way.
And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. This is the theme of the advent of Christ coming into the world. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and he made the most precious commitment to us, to all those that he saves. Remember, those Jesus saves are his delight. Christ delights in bruised reeds and in smoldering wicks. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that in the midst of everything that is going on in life, that we would cling to the one who has taken hold of us, even your son, the Lord Jesus. And that in considering our Savior, Jesus, we would see that he has brought us hope again. That if he has received us as bruised reeds, it is to heal us. And if he has found us as smoldering wicks, it is to cause our flame to rise again. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming first into this world and then into our lives. Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to Christ. Amen.